I'm Sarah Ellerly. And I'm Olivia Rosenman from Brain on Nature. We wanted to share this episode we made about a community group of new parents fostering connections around climate action and care for the natural world. We did think quite a bit about climate change even before thinking of having a baby. Yeah, I guess. yeah. That was, and she works in the sector, so it's obviously been front of mind quite, you know, in the foreground. Yeah, and, and from both perspectives, like in terms of the world we'd be bringing a baby into and the environmental impact of having a baby. So, yeah, I think it was very important that, you know, if we decide to have a baby, we need to do everything we can to yeah. solve the problem as well. Basically, yeah, because, I mean, yeah. obviously he he won't be able to make much of a difference by, by the time, time like you know in, by 2050 or something he won't so it's up to us it falls on us to make yeah. a difference so we yeah. agonized about it for many many years before deciding and i think we also decided like just the one <laughs> yeah i think becoming a parent makes it not just like the thing i do professionally but the thing it's like really personal now we're at Daryl Jackson Gardens in Summerhill, in Sydney's Inner West, at a Sunday Arvo gathering of the Climate Play Group. Rosa Brown is a high school teacher, mum of two kids, and in her spare time, she's been wrangling this play group. I think the group's just getting a little bit more integrated, so people are opening up and um, like learning about their stories. And I was speaking to one dad, it was really interesting, he was saying he felt often quite out of place because he's the only dad who comes to things like parent things and climate things they both seem to be quite dominated by mums and we're talking about why women and mums might be more drawn to climate than than dads that he was saying maybe there's a maternal instinct I think when I had Max I wanted to see myself as the same person as I was before I had a child it's like I'm still me, I just happen to have a child. Whereas now I think, no, no, you have to actually, you are a mum and like being a mum is more than just kind of having, you know, he's not a hobby, he's, he's more than there all the time. And so I think I was quite resistant to the idea of going to a mother's group because I'm like, well, I want to meet people because they have the same interests as me and not just because they happen to have a child at the same time. Families. Connecting over climate change is important. I mean, the playgroup offers a way for parents to be able to talk about climate change and participate in a conversation about climate change in a way that's family-friendly. The conversations are really important too, that if people aren't speaking about it, then they're not caring. Um, so I guess the playgroup is also a little bit of a, an attempt to bridge that conversation gap, but I'm sure it will people who come to it won't be the people who've never had a conversation about climate but I guess there's some hope that there'll be a bit of a ripple effect or that it will give more people confidence. One of the things that happened to my family was that during the Black Summer fires uh, my little boy was he was only two at the time and he had a lot of difficulty with the smoke that was smothering Sydney for 90 plus days and that's an event that a lot of Australians can relate to because it affected nearly the entire east coast. Nick Seaton is from Australian Parents for Climate Action. The Climate Playgroup is actually how I found this organisation. If it wasn't for the NOS Climate Playgroup, I wouldn't have met people physically face-to-face. The Playgroup is part of the Australian Parents for Climate Action network, and Nick joined one of their gatherings. 
a while later, Nick became the CEO. A little young one like that is extra vulnerable in that situation, as are many people with any kind of breathing difficulties or health challenges and older people. My little boy ended up contracting acute bronchiolitis and every time there was a significant smoke event he was having a lot of difficulty breathing and we took him into hospital a few times during that summer Uh, and the first time was probably the most stressful we needed to get him onto oxygen as quickly as possible but also because when you're going through a 90-day smoke event you don't know where to go you can't play outside our old house isn't very airtight His childcare centre wasn't able to keep the smoke out. There wasn't really a sense of relief. And so it led to a sense of feeling like we didn't have a lot of control. And it was very difficult emotionally. I was was quite anxious. Every time the phone rang when I was at work, I thought it could be the next hospital run. Rebecca Huntley says communities around Australia are grappling with how to talk about climate change. She's an experienced social researcher and the author of How to Talk About Climate Change in a Way That Makes a Difference. What is clear is that, from all my research, is that people often don't know how to raise the issue of climate change when they don't know how people feel about it. Right? So they could be at a PNC or a Mother's Day breakfast or whatever at school and... You know, you want to say, oh, God, you know, you maybe want to say, God, did you see ScoMo doesn't hold a hose or something? And you're not sure whether you're just going to get crickets. And of course, climate change has become worse than sex and religion as the thing that you don't want to talk about because you don't want to be that kind of person. My mother's group is really lovely, but I, I do find that it's a little, I definitely don't feel able or to be as open or it just worries me a little bit because I don't want to alienate myself or make others feel alienated. There is evidence that the more children you have, the less concerned you are about climate change. But I mean, I say that in that in there is some data and that there is hasn't been an enormous amount of work done on this but when we looked at who remains disengaged on the climate issue it tends to skew towards women with lots of caring responsibilities and I think that's less because they're concerned about climate change and more just because they're overwhelmed it's like don't make me solve this thing that you know seems unsolvable and also the other thing I think the perceptions, fair or not is that to be a good environmental citizen you've got to spend an enormous amount of time (laughs) and spend an enormous amount of money. Being a good environmental citizen means rushing out the door and remembering your keeper cup and, you know, piling your children onto a bike and, you know, growing your own food and going to organic markets. Sometimes there is perception that caring about the climate environment requires you to spend more and do more. And if you're already overwhelmed, you've got three or four kids, if you're on your own, you've got caring responsibilities for older parents, you don't have a lot of income, it just seems too much. But what is clear is that for people who have already got a frame of concern, some understanding of the science, it's in their consideration set, but maybe it's like for the fourth or fifth important issue for them. Having a child can make them care more. So it can tip them. So it can be a transformative thing. It could also be a transformative thing for grandparents. There's something about new life, thinking about wanting to protect it, thinking about that trajectory can, can switch people. 
you often notice in a lot of nonprofit organizations that the membership is sometimes overrepresented by older age groups because those people maybe don't have as many dependents or uh, responsibilities on their time. And also younger age groups are often really good at mobilizing as well. And we see that the students or you know, younger generations are really good at representing at rallies and, and, and all sorts of political events. Parents are sometimes not, not to be seen because they're busy. They're busy people. And we've set out to try and facilitate their participation to make sure that climate change isn't just something that they can be a part of, but also something meaningful to them. Because often these discussions are had in big concepts about things like carbon reduction and greenhouse gas emissions and things like that. That's not really what climate change means to most people. What climate change means to most people is, are my kids going to be safe? How does it address my anxieties? Does it affect my health? Does it affect my household economics, my bills? Uh, These are all elements that we need to engage with people on as well. And so we need to make climate change something that families can access. The climate playgroup is one of the first steps towards doing that and making sure that you can go down to the playground and take your kids somewhere that they've been asking you to take them all weekend, whilst also participating in building a community, in increasing awareness, in educating each other, and supporting different activities and actions that are part of the Climate Playgroup. So I think something like that is fulfilling all the wonderful, supportive, life stage, community stuff that people need when they have kids with the added knowledge that you've got a group of people who are as worried about this issue as you, connect it to being a good parent and may actually provide a support network for activism. A really high number of people report never having spoken about it. So I guess the playgroup is also a little bit of an attempt to bridge that conversation gap. So one of the things about Australian Parents for Climate Action, I mean, even just small things like the other day, they're doing a training and I said, look, I've got my kids on my own that week and, you know, I don't know if... I, and they're like, do you understand? There's none of that conversation. It's like it's at 8.15 after we've all put our kids down. Like you can be involved in activism in a way where you don't have to check your responsibilities as a parent at the door. So I think that's important too um, because you do have to meet people where they are in terms of their life stage and their constraints and a lot of political activism doesn't do that it's like let's have a six o'clock meeting after work and it's like i can't do that so i mean i think think we're generally getting better at that as a society but it's still a problem it's the same way that i said that one of the problems when we talk about what can you do about climate it's very much about oh you've got to go to new more meetings and give more money you can live exactly the life you're living now you just find a way to bring climate into the life that you already have So you could be going to the local sporting group with your kids and you could say, well, do you know that, you know, Tennis Australia won't take any more money from Santos because they're really worried about climate and they're really worried that tennis, we won't be able to play outdoor tennis if we live in a place where it's like 50 fucking degrees every summer. And what's our position? And should we as a tennis club declare a climate emergency and think about renewable energy and talk about it and bring somebody in from Tennis Australia to talk about why they've taken the position they have on climate. It's still hard to do, but it's still within the context of we're all here because we love tennis and we want our kids to play tennis, that kind of thing. So you don't have to go to a Greenpeace meeting to talk about climate. You can go to all the meetings that you normally go to. It's this climate playgroup that decided to get together to hold an event in 
The electorate of Reid, which was a critical swing seat in the election, one that was the focus of a lot of discussion around climate politics and one where there's a lot of culturally and linguistically diverse communities. And it was this climate play group that says, well, we're going to go there and we're going to hold a really big, really positive, really inclusive event. And on the day the election was called, there were 500 people at this big picnic with choirs and musicians and all sorts of you know local groups and community organizations. And it was a really positive event. And that's when I sort of realized, oh, wow, this is doable. We start with family, we start with the play group, and we build on this together in a way that's actually going to start to demonstrate strong support, public pressure, and a political wind that's headed in the right direction. Let's say you're a member of parliament, maybe a conservative member of parliament, but in a seat that hasn't got a great margin, right? Maybe the prime minister isn't very popular. You're a bit worried, right? You're sitting on five, six, seven percent, which usually you'd be okay, but you won't. It's volatile times. You go into work one day and there's a letter from the global CEO of Greenpeace saying, you know, Australia isn't doing the right thing by climate. What are you doing as a member of parliament? Blah, blah, blah. You know, put it in the correspondent file. Then you look at your diary and there's seven middle-class mums who've come in to have a meeting with you. They all live in the electorate. These are people that you know previously. They work for small business. They previously voted for you. They all sit there and they say... We don't like your position on climate. What are you going to do about it? You're more scared about those seven women and all the other women, that, or men and women, all the other people they talk to than you are about the CEO of Greenpeace, even though the message may be exactly the same. We've got this long history of seeing polarisation on the topic of climate change as to whether you're for or against or whether you're on this side or that side. And that's been really damaging to constructive discourse and, and, and progress. Climate's a family issue. I mean, climate is something that we all depend on to be secure and stable into the future, especially younger people. And younger people don't get a lot of say in decision-making, and that's where it falls down to parents and families in general to really look after their best interests. Families, parents, grandparents, carers are all motivated by their love for the kids in their lives and for the respect they have that young people are going to need a future that is both safe and conducive to the best possible life that these young people can have. That requires us paying attention to climate change, supporting climate action and being very ambitious because we're facing some serious headwinds that threaten the future of young people and it will not be the same as the upbringing that I've enjoyed or that we've enjoyed. It will be different, that much we know, but how different and how difficult is up to us. We can actually make it a lot safer than some extreme models could predict, but we can also make it a lot brighter. The Climate Play Group, it's a really good example of how family is a key value that everyone is there representing, let alone fostering in themselves and in each other. And it's a value that everyone has. It's a value that cuts across politics and it's you know, an innate human value that everyone can relate to in their own way. Rosa reckons that dad, who mentioned that he's often been the only dad at playgroups, perhaps felt he could open up to her because there was the shared emotional concern of climate change, making it a safe space. So that's why I think this dad then opened up to me about, you know, feeling sometimes that he wasn't so sure about what to do in other spaces and also it's really interesting then people started some people started sharing their stories about how they came 
to being interested in climate and they're often also really personal stories so I think it just made me feel like I was able to connect with other people in a deeper way like maybe with more integrity or just kind of openness and that's really nice because I think a lot of the time we want to feel close to people but you don't really necessarily know how to. Straight to the This episode was produced by me, Olivia Rosenman. And me, Sierra Allerly. The sound engineer was Isabella Tropiano, and Jonathan Zanti composed and recorded all our wonderful music. It was made with the support of the Inner West Council's Community Wellbeing Grant. If you'd like to know more about the Inner West Families for Climate Action Playgroup, go to brainonnature.com forward slash playgroup. Don't fall back I feel My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. 
Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.